John 17, this is the, the prayer that Jesus prayed. Jesus spoke these things, looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, so that the Son may glorify you. For you gave him authority over all flesh, so he may give eternal life to all you have given him. This is, is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and the one you sent, Jesus Christ. I have glorified you on the earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with that glory I had with you before the world existed. I've revealed your name to the men you gave me from the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that all things you have given to me are from you, because the words you gave me I have given them. They have received them and have known for certain that I came from you. They have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, because they are yours. Everything I have is yours, and everything you have is mine, and I have been glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by your name that you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I was protecting them by your name that you have given me. I guarded them, and not one of them is lost, except the son of destruction, so the scripture may be fulfilled. Now I am coming to you, and I speak these things in the world, so that they may have my joy completed in them. I have given them your word. The world hated them, because they are not of the world, as I am, as I am not of the world. I'm not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. I sanctify myself for them, so, that, so, so they also may be sanctified by the truth. I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their message. May they all be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you. May they also be one in us, so the world may believe you sent me. I've given them the glory you have given me. May they be one as we are one. I am in them, and you are in me. May they be completely one, so the world may know that you sent me, and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire those you have given me to be with me where I am. Then they will see my glory, which you have given me because you loved me before the world's foundation. Righteous Father, the world has not known you, However, I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. I made your name known to them, and will make it known, so the love you have loved me with may be in them, and I may be in them. This is the word of the Lord.
Paul, can I grab your Bible? Paul, could I have your Bible, please? <laughs> Thanks, mate. Good morning, friends. Uh, nice to be with you again. I'm Simon. If I haven't met you uh, before, I'm one of the assistant pastors here, uh, primarily over at, uh, or here at 8am, Lavender Bay, and I help to oversee uh, local mission. I wonder if you would keep your Bible open at John 17. What a dramatically amazing passage of Scripture. Holy ground we are on there as we get insight into the prayers of Jesus. Am I... In preparation, I came across a man who preached on John 17 for 45 consecutive weeks. 45 consecutive, almost a whole year he spent in John chapter 17. I've got 25 minutes to deal with it in one go. So we're, we're going to have to leave some stuff by the way, but um, that's okay. Would you pray with me as we come before God's word this morning? Father in heaven, uh, we thank you and praise you for your goodness to us uh, in revealing yourself to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Father, we pray that today we would see your glory and, Father, that we would be transformed by it. Father, may the gospel that you've saved us by be the same gospel that refreshes us again today and sends us out into the world so that others may see you hear you, and love you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I've got a question for you. I think it's on the screen. It's coming up at least. Are you a thick disciple? Are you a thick disciple? Who's willing to say I'm a thick disciple? One down here. Andy. Beautiful. What do I mean by thick? I don't mean thick in terms of, you know, unintelligent or not smart. I mean, I look out at you guys and you're pretty, you're an intellectual bunch. You aren't thick disciples in that sense. Uh, I don't mean thick in the sense of, another way you can talk about thickness is fat. I don't look out at you and see, you know, a whole bunch of fat disciples who need to jump on treadmills and sort of get a bit fitter for the Lord. What do I mean by thick? When I think of a thick disciple... I think of a follower of Jesus who is totally captured by the gospel, who is so thickly entwined with who Jesus is, who God the Father is, what Jesus' mission and purpose was in the world, that they are just connected with him and that the hopes and dreams of Jesus Christ are the hopes and dreams of the follower of Jesus, that you're a thick disciple. That Jesus' mission, his purpose, is your mission, is your purpose. That's what I mean by a thick disciple. And in John chapter 17, verse 18, I think we have the real story of what a thick disciple is all about. A thick disciple. It's a classic text. It's all there. Have a look at me. John chapter 17, verse 18. As you sent me into the world... I also have sent them into the world. A thick disciple is someone who shares the mission and the purpose of Jesus. You might say, I read John 17 verse 18, Simon, and I don't see the word mission there. Well, the word mission comes twice in that particular verse. Mission comes from the the Latin word missio, which means to be sent. As you sent me, Jesus says to his father, into the world, so I send them into 
the world. To be on mission means to be sent. And right there, Jesus tells us that not only is he a person on mission, but anyone who's connected to Jesus is on mission. This prayer of Jesus gives us two perspectives on mission by the way of introduction, two ways of understanding it right up. First, a missionary is one who is sent to show something. We have missions all around Australia, in Sydney and particularly in Canberra. Have you seen them? We've got a mission in Canberra and Sydney to Canada, uh, from the US, from China, Vietnam. We have missions in Australia. Have you seen them? What are they filled with? They're filled with ambassadors. You see, an ambassador and a missionary are basically the same thing. Jesus was sent to show Verse 6, he says, I have revealed your name. I've revealed the character of Jesus. You see Jesus, you see the Father. He was sent to show God. Ambassadors come to dispel stereotypes and they let people know what the country is really like as truthfully and as accurately as possible in another land. A missionary and an ambassador, same thing. They are sent to show. Let's take it one step further. Jesus was not only a missionary in order to show God, he revealed the truth about God the Father for a reason. What was that reason? He was a missionary. He was an ambassador who was sent to save. He prays in verse 19 of our chapter, I sanctify myself for them so that they also may be sanctified by the truth. Do you see that? Jesus came to make broken people whole. He came to make sinful people holy. He came to show, he also came to save. That was Jesus' mission. Some of you might say, well, that's one of my problems that I have with Christianity. This whole idea, you know, Christianity is a great religion. It offers the world so many good things and good truths and things like that. But this is where I don't like it. This is the part I hate. I hate the fact that as Christians, they think they're missionaries and they're going to go out and convert people. I don't like that. Such a narrow view. To say that someone doesn't know the truth, to say that someone is lost, so narrow. Narrow? Lost? It's nonsense. Listen, imagine someone you love and you see them in them the symptoms that you had of the sickness that you once had. And you know it's life-threatening and you know the truth of how they can perhaps overcome that life-threatening illness how can they can get treated, how they can get saved. They don't want to listen. They don't want to admit that they're actually sick. They write it off. What do you do at that point? What happens to you? You start to make your case. You start to tell them of your own experience. You go into mission mode, don't you? You have to be on mission. Because you have this dynamic combination inside your head and in your heart of both love for that person and the truth of how that person can get saved. If you know the truth of what that person needs in order to save them, then you love them, you go into mission. If you love them but you don't have the truth, then you have no mission. If you have the truth but you don't love or care for them, you have no mission. But if you have truth and love together, you're on mission. Is that narrow? It's not narrow, but it's intense. With truth and love, you cannot avoid.
avoid being on mission. This is where we as Christians find ourselves. Jesus came down, the truth of God, in love to save people. He was on mission. And our passage today, this prayer of Jesus says, if anyone is in Jesus, they will be like him. They will share his mission and passion. Jesus says, as I was sent, so also I send you into the world. How do you know you've met Jesus? You go into mission mode. I want us to take a look today at three particular features of this mission of Christ. Because the same features of Jesus' mission have to be the same features of our mission if we're in him, if we're his followers. As I, so they. That's the kind of the paradigm. And these features are critical for all of us today. If you're here today and you're not yet a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, the only intelligent thing to do before you decide to write Jesus off is actually understand what his mission is in the first place. But if you're here today and you're a believer on the Lord Jesus Christ, you have to ask yourself, just how strong is my connection to my saviour Jesus? It's clear if your connection is strong, if it's thick, you'll be like him. You'll want to be like him because of his grace. So three features of mission from John 17. Firstly, the result of mission. Secondly, the power for mission. And thirdly, the requirement of mission. Firstly, the result of mission, brothers and sisters in Christ, is joy. That's the first result of mission. You know that you're in mission if there is a real joy in you to be on mission. Jesus has been sent to earth. We know that. All of John 17 is about mission. Did you see it? Verse 4, I've glorified your name on earth by completing the work that you gave me to do. That's to die on the cross for the sins of the world. He's about to go to the cross. His hour has come. Verse 6, I have revealed your name, says Jesus. Verse 13, I'm coming to you. He's about to die be raised from the dead and ascend to the right hand of God on high. Everything Jesus is talking about in John 17 is about his mission. His mission was this. Because we had substituted ourselves for God by living as if we were God, calling our own shots, deciding what was right and wrong, living for our own glory, our own individual fulfilment, Because we substituted ourselves for him, he substitutes himself for us. Because we took upon ourselves the things that only God deserves, he took upon himself the things that we deserve. Jesus came to die, to take on himself the punishment that we deserve for our rejection for him. That's the gospel. One of the most fascinating verses that I know of in The New Testament is Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. We're told that God the Father, before the foundations of the earth, told his son Jesus about this great mission to seek and save the lost, to come and lay down his life for the world. The Father said, will you go? Will you take their punishment, our punishment, into your own heart? Will you let all their punishment and all their torture fall into your heart and there explode and rip you into pieces on the cross? How did Jesus respond to that mission? It tells us in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, for the sake of the joy. 
For the sake of the joy set before him, he endured the cross and despised its shame. As soon as Jesus Christ assessed the prospects of this mission, he's filled with joy. John chapter 17, verse 13, he says, I speak these things to you. What does he mean by that? He means all about his mission. I'm telling my people about this mission so they may have joy and complete joy in them. Do you see what he's saying? The lack of joy in your life is related to the lack of mission in your life. The lack of joy in your life is due to the lack of mission in your life. Friends, we were made for mission. You were built for mission. There's a tight link between joy and sentness. Father, I pray that you'd send them on mission, that they might have the fullness of my joy complete in them. You know, children know this, don't they? Every child loves heroic quests. There's some heroic quests on the screen coming up, I hope. There you go. Children love heroic quests, adventure stories about saving the world, world-saving missions. You know, the little man, Frodo, overcomes the world. Love endures forever. Kids love this stuff. Before we destroy a child's love and belief in world-saving missions, before they become sort of cynical and a bit like us, they think about their future career in terms of mission, transforming the world. When you ask a seven-year-old, what do you want to do with the rest of your life? What do they say? I just want an office job, sitting behind a computer, pushing paper around. Has a seven-year-old ever said that to you? No. They want to help people. They want to transform the world. They want to take it on, change things. They always speak of their future in terms of mission. Changing lives. What happened to us? Why do you want to change lives anymore? I'll tell you what happened to us. We bought into a truth. We bought into a worldview that says all truth is relative. But rather than being there being a transcendent truth that explains and helps us understand all of life, we've brought the idea that there is nothing more important than my individual fulfillment. My needs are more important than anything and anyone else in the world. And what eventually happens is there is this no, there's nothing higher, no higher truth, no higher cause than my own individual happiness. And that destroys mission. Because if there's no higher cause than my own happiness... There's nothing to deny my happiness for. There's no higher cause than my own joy. There's nothing for me to die for. There's nothing for me to live for. There's nothing for me to have a mission for. And if we spend the rest of our lives, we spend the rest of our lives, and we begin to realise that I live for my own comforts and my own happiness and my own security... Before you know it, you say, I'm making no difference in the world anymore. My seven-year-old aspirations have kind of just gone. 
How can I make a difference in the world if I've got nothing to die for? I've got no mission. Here's the irony. By exaggerating my significance, I lose my significance. I no longer count. I no longer make an impact. Unless you're a Christian. Unless you're a Christian. We've heard it of Kylie this morning, pretty much the only people I know who are willing to give up their career, their status and their positions at work and do crazy things in order to change the world are Christians. I was at a black tie function down at Luna Park last Saturday night. Uh, it was a medical awards dinner and they had some amazing people doing some amazing They beamed us into the Ukraine where a woman is there Uh, seeking to overcome treatment-resistant tuberculosis. Not a very sexy disease, but she's in there seeking to help to overcome it. I said to Adele, my wife, I said, I bet she's a Christian. I bet she's a Christian. Christians on mission. Because we know that the ideal has become real. We know there's a narrative that helps us explain what's really going on in the world. The triumph has come. And that we can be part of something where we see lives change from the ground up. That's a mission. That's something to die for. But transcendent the reality that you know will triumph because Christ has had victory over death. Death, where is your sting? And you'll be part of it whether you die at the age of 20, whether you die at the age of 80. Mission results in joy. Many of you have lost it because you've been living for yourself. I speak to myself as well. If you're a Christian, man or woman, you're on mission and we're part of something. God has called us into something where he's changing lives from the ground up. Something to die for. Something that brings overwhelming joy. My second point, the power for mission. We've just seen the result of mission is joy. Jesus says the power for mission is an encounter with God, an encounter with the living Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus says, as you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. What made Jesus a man on mission? It was God the Father. What makes you or I people of mission? God the Son, Jesus Christ, meeting him in the testimony of Scripture. Anyone who actually meets God, meets the Lord Jesus Christ, when they see him, their life is just radically changed, overwhelmed. See, if you think your religion is a private thing, I wonder if you've really met the risen Lord Jesus. God never pulls you in to bless you without then sending you out to be a blessing to the world. Let me give you two examples. Isaiah. Isaiah on one Sabbath, one Sunday, walks into the temple. He walks into the temple to worship, like we've done today, we're told in Isaiah chapter 6. And he is shocked. He is utterly traumatised. Why? Because like most of us, the the last person we expect to meet when we come to church is God. But he saw God, high and lifted up, majestic, holy, pure, radiant, and he's instantly changed. First of all, he gets a real impression of who he truly is. Sinful, unable to stand in the presence of God. He falls down. But then from the altar, 
uh, the altar that points towards the ultimate altar of sacrifice, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, A burning coal is placed upon his lips and instantly he is healed, he is forgiven, he is restored utterly and completely. And then God says, I've got a job for somebody. Who will go? Does Isaiah say, oh, just give me a couple of days. Let me just sort out a few things. I'm ready, he says. Send me. What happened to him? He had an encounter with the risen God, the God, with God. You can't see God without being sent. As you sent me into the world, so I send them into the world. And then we've got Abraham. Way back in Genesis 12, Abraham speaks to God. Abraham is spoken to by God. God says to him, I will make you great and I will bless you. Now, that is the kind of religion we all want, isn't it? I'll make you great and I will bless you. It's the kind of God I want. I'll make you great. I'll bless you. Don't you want that? But then he finishes the sentence. I'll make you great. I'll bless you that you will be a blessing, that you will be a blessing. Then immediately says to Abraham, go, get out. Go to another land. Take all your possessions with you, go. Pack up your family. Abraham gets out of his country, leaves his land, leaves the familiar comfort zones that he's used to, to a land that God will show him down the track. What's really going on not so much he's leaving his country, but he's actually leaving his security. He becomes vulnerable. There's no way that God will ever bless you without sending you out to be a blessing. To be a blessing, you need to get out. It's also the only way to be like Jesus. Because Jesus Christ was sitting in heaven, perfectly secure, and he got out emptying himself, making himself vulnerable, even to the point of death on a cross. Unless you know today that you're making yourself vulnerable in order to be a blessing to other people, you haven't been sent. You're not a man or woman in mission, and you probably haven't yet grasped the greatness or the glory of Jesus Christ enough. Do you know what it means to be vulnerable? Are you so caught up in being a blessing to other people's lives that it's scaring you how much it's sucking out of your bank account when you go and check it online? It's scaring you that you're putting your reputation on the line, your status. It's frightening you. If it's scaring you, if you're frightened, then you're in good shape. My point is this. God never calls you in to be a blessing without then sending you out to be a blessing to the world. And that has as its very centre the power of an encounter with the living Lord Jesus, where your life is changed from the ground up and his mission, his purpose becomes the driving force in your life. He will never pull you in without sending you out. He sends you out to be a blessing. Is that happening to you? Thirdly, and then lastly, the result of mission is joy, complete joy, because we join in the joyous work of Christ in the world. The power of mission is an encounter with Jesus Christ. 
And thirdly, the requirements for mission. Verse 18 again. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. That word, word as, is the controlling word. We're supposed to go into the world the same way that Jesus went into the world. How did he go? He went mighty in word and deed. That means Christians start churches. We start churches here. You know, we've been going for a long time now. It's great to see the provision of God. We start churches not so that only will we see many people come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and people then put their wealth on the line to support such a thing. We also seek to deal with the brokenness of the world and the human condition. I'm sure that if more Christians were doing this in our city, we'd all find, we'd see radical improvements in our communities. Why are we not seeing it? What are the requirements for effectiveness in mission? The requirement for effective mission, and all we've been talking about from this text is our personal holiness. Our personal holiness. Fueled by the grace of God. Can you see it? Can you see in verses 17, 18 and 19? Verse 17. Jesus prays, Sanctify them, my disciples, by the truth. Your word is truth. Then verse 19. I sanctify myself for them, so they also may be sanctified by the truth. And then our verse for the day in the middle, as you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. Why would Jesus put verse 18 in between two texts that speak about holiness, sanctification, being set apart? Why did he do that? The answer, they're not two different ideas. My point is this, as Christians, we are supposed to be holy. We are supposed to be like Christ in the world. Mighty in word and deed. Mighty in truth and love. In character, we are to have his courage and at the same time his sweetness, his attitude of integrity and yet his boldness to preach, his humility and yet his compassion, his love that loves to the end even his enemies. We're set apart made holy to be like Christ in the world. I mean, why, why grow in your personal holiness? Why go to Hive? Why come to prayer, a Hive prayer this week? Someone might say, oh, why come for Jesus' sake? Absolutely, correct answer. But it also says, for the world's sake. Why do we seek to be more like Christ? We seek to be more like Christ for the sake of the world in which we live. That others would come to know the truth. That others would come to know love. When Jesus first sent the twelve out into the world, that's mission. When he sent them out into the world, what did he send them with? Did he send them with massive manila sort of folders, manuals on evangelism? Did he send them out with the six boxes of two ways to live and say every person you encounter, you've got to sit them down and write it down on a, you know, a leaflet or on a serviette at the local cafe when you get into the next town? Did he say that? Did he send them out with clever marketing and advertising strategies? 
you know, the ability to mass mail out from your email account, how to write a sermon, break a sermon down into the main idea in three points with an introduction and a conclusion, how to write a Bible study. Is that how he sent them out? He sent them out into the world with one thing, holiness, truth and love, Christ-likeness, and the world was changed forever. What have we got? There's more than 12 of us here today. Why isn't the world being changed? Maybe we've got the manuals, but not the holiness. So the gospel of God's truth and love spreads by one holy life rubbing off on another unholy life and people hear the truth and respond to God's love. We see it in Acts. We see it in the early church. We should be seeing it in our church. People's lives are going to be changed by our holiness, taking up the baton that Christ has given us and the baton that Christ prays for us here in this passage. Perhaps one of the best things we could do for the sake of our suburb, our parish, our city, our country is pray that God would help us to love better and to know the truth better. Let me sum up in conclusion and apply this a bit to us. Some of us, some of you are wondering why your life is a little bit tasteless, a little bit joyless. You want to know why? Because you've, you've got no mission left. You've been living for yourself for years. Because you've got no higher mission than to get a bigger apartment or wait for Mr. Wright or Mrs. Wright to come along and give you that fulfillment that you so long for. Brothers and sisters, we are floundering under our small and puny ambitions. Your heart and minds were made by God for nobler, greater things than that. You were made for world-changing mission, for changing the world. There is no way to get it until you finally see who God is, that he's broken into the world through his truth, through the love that he's shown for us and is changing things. Christian brothers and sisters, many of us should ask ourselves, how strong is my link to Jesus? How thick am I with Christ? Am I on mission? There's no excuse for our joylessness. God doesn't bless us Christians merely to fulfill our individual needs. God sets us apart to be on mission for his glory. Showing the truth of God, speaking the truth of God, and displaying the love of God to meet the needs of others in our world to God's glory. We come in and get so we can go out and give. We will fail. We must remember that it's God's grace that is the basis of our right relationship with him we've been called into a life-changing mission, set apart for that, set apart for the glory of God. We come in, we get blessed, we go out, 
and we give. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you that we see in these words that he prayed to you, our Heavenly Father, a desire for us as his people to be men and women who, after having a radical encounter with you, are set apart for mission. Father, thank you for blessing us with eternal life through knowledge in you. But Father, help us to not keep that to ourselves. Help us to be men and women on mission, seeking to share the truth about you with our world, seeking to display your love to every single person who comes across our paths. Father, open our eyes to what you are doing in the world. May we be thick disciples, all for your glory. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.